This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. But finding your place in Hebrews chapter 3, the author of this book is said to be the Apostle Paul. The book of Hebrews has every evidence of being a Pauline epistle. The theme of this book is encouragement for the Hebrew Christians to keep going on for God. This, is, this has become one of my favorite books of the Bible as I've dived into it more and I've, I've studied it more in depth. It's important to understand, though, that a large portion of the book of Hebrews is written to persuade the new Christians, the Jews, to do these three things to lay aside every weight, to lay aside every sin, and to run the race for God, the race that God's given them to run. It's vitally important to know that Paul has not just written this book to challenge and to charge the Hebrew Christians. He's not just written this book to, to warn the people of God of their negligence and their spirit of unbelief, and we'll talk about that more in a second. But ultimately, what Paul's doing here in the book of Hebrews is he's He's writing ultimately to magnify and to exalt the position and the person of Jesus Christ to the Jews here. To understand this context of this passage, we need to first look at the overview of the previous chapters. Paul is speaking to the Jews here, particularly of their unbelief. Hence the reason he's magnifying Jesus Christ in comparison to the things that the Jews hold so dearly to their hearts. For instance, he's helping them understand that in chapter 1, and if you've read the book of Hebrews and you're familiar with it, you'll understand this. If not, I encourage you to do so. In chapter 1, he's helping them understand that Jesus and the salvation that he offers is greater than the prophets. In chapter 2, he's greater than the angels. In chapter 3, he's greater than Moses. And now in here in chapter 4, he's expressing that Jesus is greater than the Sabbath. And we'll look more in depth in that. Leading up to this passage, we'll be looking at more in depth tonight. Paul reminds the Jews of the unheeding Israelites and their wandering for 40 years due to their spirit of unbelief. As Paul steps on the scene now here in the, in the book of Hebrews, as Paul steps onto the scene, the Hebrew Christians have already developed a callous heart towards the things of God. Paul is warning them concerning their sin of unbelief, yet encouraging them with the assurance that Jesus Christ, our great high priest, has purchased rest by the shedding of his blood at Calvary, conquering death, hell, and the grave. Amen? Now he exhorts them to look, uh, look to him and find that perfect rest that only Jesus offers. Read with me, beginning in verse 7 of chapter 3. The Bible says, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, Today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. That's an interesting word there that Paul uses, provocation. It's the Greek word uh, peripokrasmos, interesting word, meaning um, angered, irritated, agitated. So what he says is, harden not your hearts towards the Holy Spirit. Don't have an angry heart, an angry spirit towards the Holy Spirit. Don't be irritated or agitated towards Him. In the day of temptation in the wilderness, I've written beside this verse here, keep my heart tender. Keep my heart tender. And in this day and age, in every day and age, the older that we get, the harder sometimes that, that, that may become. 
the more of life that we experience, the harder that that may become. So I, I remind myself of this every time I go to this chapter, keep my heart tender. With all diligence, the Bible says. When your father, fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works 40 years, verse 10 says, Wherefore I was grieved with that generation and said, They do always err, always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. I've written beside this verse right here, they missed it. They missed it because of their heart of unbelief. Friend, I don't know about you, but I don't want to miss out on what God has for me. The, the life that God has for me. The experiences that God has for me. The opportunities that God has for me. The day that I surrendered my all to Jesus Christ, and I surrendered into full-time ministry because I knew that's what God wanted me to do. Can I tell you something? I've already, just at 24 years of age, I have already experienced things that I would have never got to experience if I wouldn't have done that. And you surrender your heart to the Lord, and He'll give you things and give you opportunities that you'll never be able to experience otherwise. It says in verse 11, So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. They missed it. Verse 12 says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another. He's speaking to the Christians here, the saved. But exhort one another while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ. If we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. While it is said today, he repeats it, if ye will hear his voice, the Holy Spirit's voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. Verse 16 says, For some, when they had heard, talking about the Israelites here, did provoke, howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not? So we see, the Bible says, that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Because their spirit of unbelief. They could not enter in to the promised land, to the, to the perfect rest that Jesus offers because of their spirit of unbelief. Look with me in chapter 4. We'll, we'll continue reading just a few more verses. The Bible says, Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Verse 4 says, For he spake in the certain place of the seventh day on the wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all of his works. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest. Again, he warns them of hardening not their hearts. Seeing therefore it re remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. Again, he limiteth a certain day, saying in David, Today, after so long a time, as it is said, Today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. For if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day? There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works as God did from his. In verse 11, we'll stop here. The Bible says, let us labor therefore to enter into that rest. 
Let us labor, therefore. Hmm, that's interesting. Let us work to enter into God's rest. The word labor there has the meaning of to make effort to, to endeavor. The Bible says, let us endeavor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Pray with me, if you will. Father, thank you so much for this wonderful night you've given us. Beautiful weather today. Lord, we don't take that for granted. Lord, thank you for the opportunities you've given us to serve you. Lord, it's just, just such a wonderful privilege. It's just so refreshing to come and to worship, to lift up and to magnify and to exalt your name with the people of God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for our pastor. Please keep him safe on the roads as they travel back. Brother Schatz and Mr. Hickman, thank you for the blessing that they are to us. And just the people that you've given us here, God, thank you for filling our church with such wonderful people. God, I'm so thankful to be a part of your family. Help me tonight as I preach, God. Uh, Lord, help me to be empty of myself. God, help me to totally rely and depend on you for all, any ounce of strength that I have. Thank you, God, for your wonderful love for us in Christ's name. Amen. Church, the only way to find true rest is through a total surrender of heart, mind, and will while believing that Jesus is the Son of God and trusting in His Word. In 1896, Judson Van Deventer penned the words, All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily live. Friend, I'm speaking to you tonight not about physical rest or mental rest, although that's very needed. Today, for me personally, that was needed, and for you, was it not? Today, I needed rest. Every day, day by day, we need rest. You know, I'm going through the, uh, the auction, and by the way, ladies who are involved in that ran that great job. It's always run so well. Praise the Lord that we've got people that, that do such a great job on that, and the Lord provides for His church, and I'm thankful for it. But, you know, I'm walking through that, and I'm seeing how it's organized, and I'm looking at all the stuff, and, man, they got so much Carolina Tar Heels stuff, and, man, I'm excited about it. I want to get all of it and put it right above our bed, but my wife says, no, that's not going to happen. You know, I see all this different stuff, and, you know, I just get excited about it. Then I go over there to the, to the really expensive section, all right? You now you got these little, little stuff, you know, you want to buy for 10, 15, 20 bucks. Then you go to the really, really expensive section, right? Then you go to the section, the vacation section. Man, and you see Antigua, and you see St. Lucia, and many of you have been there and know what that's like. Uh, you see, you know, Panama and all these different places and just luxury places. And I mean, it's got a beautiful picture of a hammock there on, the, on this beautiful porch. And, you know, you step right outside and the sun's beaming in your face. Dolphins, you know, jumping in the water, you know. It's just amazing. And you're like, I want to go there. I want to go there so I can rest. I want to go on vacation so I can rest, right? We're going to the beach soon. I'm excited about that. I was not a real beach person, to be honest with you, growing up. But then I married my wife, and I realized that if she could be a crab and live on the beach, live in the sand there, she would do it, okay? That, that's her spirit animal, all right? She loves the beach, all right? Because of her love for the beach, man, it's really rubbed off on me. I'd rather go nowhere in the world than the ocean front, all right? So, you know, we're going to the beach soon, and we're excited. We're getting, you know, everything ready to go, and, I, you know, I start packing a month in advance, you know, and so I'm excited about it. I start telling everybody about it, you know. Well, when I go there, I want to rest. I need physical rest, okay? We've been very busy here, and that's great to be busy for the Lord, amen? It's great to be busy for the Lord. But, you know, you need rest. You need rest for your mind, uh, you know, mental, being mentally tired. 
is much more tiring than being physically tired. All right, I'd come home when I first came on staff here, and the majority of what I just did was doing the lawn, all right, the landscaping. And I'd come home, and I'd be burnt to a crisp. You know, I'd have the worst tan lines in the world. And I'd come home, and I'd be, oh, I'm so tired. And my wife would be, me too. I'm exhausted. I'd say, number one, it's my time to whine, all right? Not both of us can whine at the same time. I, I get to whine right now, all right? And then number two, I thought, you know, you do work very hard, but, you know, you, you sit in an office, you know. Are you that tired? Yes. I've, I, I've come to realize that her job is much harder than mine, much harder than mine. Being mentally tired is much worse than being physically tired. She does a great job at what she does. But I'm going to tell you something. We need rest. But tonight, church, very, very briefly, for the next 15, 20 minutes, I'm not talking to you about physical rest. I'm not talking to you about mental rest. Those things will come by having spiritual rest. We need rest for our souls. Why? Because we're in a spiritual warfare. and We, we wrestle not against flesh or blood, but against principalities, the powers of the air. Can I tell you something? If you're saved, if you're a Christian tonight, can I tell you that you're at war? Every day, you've got to wake up and there's a battle for your mind. How do I know this? Because I'm saved. I'm born again. March 6, 2011, Christ came into my heart, saved me. Thank God for it. And if you're saved tonight, there's a battle going on for, you, for your mind, for your heart. And it's tiring. And it's exhausting. If I can just be very honest with you. Maybe it's worse for me than others. I don't know. But I'm going to tell you something. Satan battles me every single day for my mind. One way that he battles me is, I'll be honest with you, the, the things that in our society that, they've, that they've, they've put all over social media. Man, you can't hardly have a social media account nowadays with some provocative or disgusting thing popping up in your face. Men, is that not true? You've got to guard your hearts, guard your minds, because Satan is seeking whom he may devour each and every day. And he knows exactly our weaknesses. He knows exactly what will trip us up. You understand? One thing that I also notice is this. Satan not only wants to trip us up with that, but Satan ultimately, he knows he can't have our soul. So he wants us to wear us down. And you want to know one way he does that? Is by distracting us. By distracting us. You know, we're going through these house renovations, my wife and I. And man, we're so thankful to be back in our house, back in our bed, and uh, just thankful to, to have a house, to be honest with you. And the Lord's blessed us. But you know, we, we went through a month and a half of, you know, water damage, all kinds of stuff. We eventually just renovated the whole place. Took a while, and rightfully so. It was done the right way, praise God for it. We got back in, and I realized something. I thought, man, I've, I've witnessed a lot less during this past month and a half than I normally do. I'm, I'm never where I need to be, but I've witnessed a lot less during this month and a half. Than I, and I, it dawned on me, Satan knows he can't have my soul. But what he's trying to do is to distract me with material things, you know? Because I thought, I thought, wow, how many times during this past month and a half did I say, man, I've a lot of late nights, got to get over there, got to get that floor laid, got to get that shoe molding on, got to get that, those walls painted, got to get this done, got to get that done, got to do this, got to do that. And I thought, well, after this project is done, then I'll make time to really go witness for several hours, you know, during the week. And then I thought, Satan successfully distracted me during that month and a half. There's souls that need us, and Satan's trying to distract us. That being said, we need rest for our souls. Tonight, 
with God's help, I'd like to speak to you on, about that spiritual rest. My title is simply this, A Perfect Rest. A Perfect Rest. Is your soul in need of rest? Are you spiritually exhausted? There's a battle raging around us. A man once said this, The sign of whether or not you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit is not that you have bad desires, but that you are at war with them. Think about that. We all have bad desires. We're all born sinners. But the sign of whether or not you're indwelt by Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit, you've got the Holy Spirit living inside your soul. There's been a time in your life when you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. The sign of that is that you're at war with those bad desires, with that sinful nature. That spoke to me. Number one tonight, if you're in the habit of making notes, I'd like for you to write this down. Three ways in which we can obtain that rest, that perfect rest that brings peace and encouragement in our daily lives. Number one, knowing where we stand. Knowing where we stand, our standing. A vital part of being a Christian is having an assurance of, uh, and a knowledge of the salvation that's been accepted. Having confidence in the finished work of Jesus Christ is a must-have in our faith and worship. As believers, our spiritual standing is secure. And Paul's trying to, to illustrate this to the Jews. He's trying to tell them, said, listen, I understand that you're under persecution right now. I understand that your back's being pushed up against the wall. But listen to me. You've already trusted Christ as your Savior. You already stand on the finished work of Jesus Christ. You can be assured of that. And he's preaching this to them. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 10 says, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. I've asked myself this question many times. How can I possibly walk worthy? Brother Schatz preached a message about a month ago on Sunday morning about walking worthy and how we are made worthy through the redemption and the blood of Jesus Christ. Man, that message spoke to me. And I hope you were listening. How can I possibly walk worthy? I find the answer in verse 13 and 14 of Colossians chapter 1. The Bible says, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom we have redemption through, the blood, through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Christ took every sin that I could possibly commit, every sin that I have committed, every sin that I'm currently committing, and every sin that I will commit. He's taken all of my sins and all of your sins, and he's paid for them. He's paid for them by his death, burial, and resurrections. We can stand firmly on that truth. Aren't you thankful for that? That you don't have to worry in your heart? I, I feel that, that that's so much of the reason why us as Christians, we're so restless in our spirit sometimes because the devil comes to us and we're so weak in our faith. You know, we're so, we, we neglect studying. We, you know, we just, we're okay with the pastor studying. We're okay with the, with the guest preacher studying to, you know, to, to ease our appetites and to, Oh, that was encouraging. Yes, convicting. Great. I learned a little bit about that tonight. But you know, I'm going to go home and I'm not going to ever pick up my Bible. We're so weak spiritually. And a lot of it is because of a neglect of God's word. So the devil knows that. So you know what the devil does? He comes in, just, just sneaks in, and he just pricks our heart. He just touches our peace. He disrupts our lives. Disrupts our lives. And he, by doing so, makes us doubt our salvation. How many of you have ever doubted your salvation? If I had more hands to raise up, I would. I've doubted my salvation many times. You know, that's the, that's, that's the devil. That's not the Holy Spirit. If you've been saved, if there's been a time in your life when you've trusted in Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, that's not the Holy Spirit coming along making you doubt that. That's Satan. 
And he knows how weak we are. He knows how weak I am. He knows what will trip us up. And some, so many times he comes and he just, just touches something in our lives that gets us off course, that makes us doubt our salvation. But can I tell you something? We don't have to doubt. We don't. Just like the Jews, all right? They were being so distracted by doubting that, was Jesus even the Son of God? Is he coming? Did he come to save us from our sins? Did he? And Paul said, there's been a time in your life when you've already accepted Christ as your Savior. You've already believed in this. You're, You're falling behind in your sanctification. You're not moving forward. And that's one of the reasons why. John Phillips' commentary states, today God rests in Christ's finished work, and so does the believer. As far as the believer's standing is concerned, he's already entered into that rest. He's already entered in. Praise God for that. We've already entered into that rest, that perfect rest that Jesus offers. The songwriter writes these words, Seems like all I could see was the struggle. Haunted by ghosts that lived in my past, I'm bound up in shackles of all my failures, and I'm wondering... How long is this going to last? When you look at this prisoner and you say to me, son, stop fighting a fight that's already been won. I'm redeemed. You've set me free. So I'll shake off these heavy chains. I'll wipe away every stain. Why? Because I'm not the man that I used to be. I'm redeemed. He continues to write, all my life I've been called unworthy. Many of you can relate. All my life I've been called unworthy, named by the voice of my shame and regret. But when I hear you whisper, child, lift up your head. I remember, oh God, you're not done with me yet. I'm redeemed. You've set me free, so I'll shake off these heavy chains. I'll wipe away every stain. Now I'm not who I used to be because I don't have to be. You don't have to be the old man inside of you. I don't have to be the old man inside of me because his day, it's long dead and gone because I've got a new name. I've got a new life. I'm not the same and I've got a hope that'll carry me home. Aren't you thankful that you're redeemed tonight? Aren't you thankful? Aren't you thankful that you can come together in a church like this, like faith and come together with believers in like faith and exhort one another midweek? Aren't you thankful for that? Because it's a battle. It's a challenge. We get tired. I get exhausted fighting this battle every day. But it's an everyday battle. But friend, can I tell you, you've been redeemed. Praise God, you've been redeemed. Secondly, very quickly, notice their state. We understand our stand. We, understand, we notice their state under point number one. Verse 11 through 13 says, Let us labor therefore to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not made manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. For the Jews, many of them were perhaps saved, born again, therefore having already entered into the God's rest, Yet their state, their spiritual state, did not correspond with their standing. Their spiritual state did not correspond with their standing. The spiritual state of the Jews was concerning to Paul, you see. They were trusting in themselves rather than God, falling away from the things that they had learned and been assured of. In every way, the Hebrew Christians were doubting, like I said earlier, if Jesus was truly the Son of God. Paul didn't come to these people receiving immediate encouragement. 
He didn't come to this church of, of Christians, of, of the Hebrew Christians, and just, man, I'm encouraged, I'm refreshed. I hope that when unsaved people or when, when saved people, when they come to this service, they can say, hey, I was refreshed. I was refreshed to be with the people of God. There were smiles on their faces. Their spirits just illuminated me. It just encouraged me. It exhorted me. Can I tell you something? That wasn't Paul. Paul didn't come and receive immediate encouragement. Rather, he came and, if anything, became discouraged by their spirit of unbelief. It's important to understand that the Jews were under extreme pressure of persecution in this day. Paul is writing to him in the face of immense persecution, not only to encourage them to continue on to God, but also to warn the people of their state of unbelief. To warn the people. God's people were missing out on the perfect rest that he offers. Many of us live in a constant state of unbelief. And I can tell you that you're missing out on what God has for you. Can I explain? You're living in a state of unbelief. You're not believing that the things that God's given you is enough. Maybe it's the finances that God's given you. You're not content with it. You don't believe it's enough. Maybe it's the spouse that God's given you. You're not content with her or with him. You don't believe that what God's given you and provided for you is enough. Maybe it's the church that you're in. Whatever the circumstance may be, having that spirit of unbelief is going to hinder you, friend, from entering into that rest. You will forever be restless in your spirit, forever be restless in your soul by having that spirit of unbelief. And he's warning him here. Paul is using the word of God to divide their motives. In verse 12, we see that. You see, although we may consciously or unconsciously know this, but the truth is that we stand on the finished work of Christ by accepting his gift of salvation. We may be living in a spiritual state of unbelief just as the Hebrew Christians were living. We know by the examples given all throughout the Bible, and specifically in Hebrews, that when we live in a state of unbelief, in the sin of unbelief, we're living on, a, on very dangerous ground. What we're doing here as believers is we're testing the wrath of God. We're testing the wrath of God by living in this state of unbelief. May we heed the warning of this passage and know that the Word of God cuts right through our faith, it cuts right through our motives, and it cuts right through our works discerning between the natural and the spiritual. May we live knowing where we stand in the state of belief in the Son of God and resting in His Word. Number two, if you're in the habit of making notes, write this down. We can obtain that perfect rest, God's rest, by trusting in His Word. I'd like for you to notice with me very quickly, Jesus, our high priest. In verse 14 and 15, the Bible says, Seeing then that we have a high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. I love how Paul constantly praises and magnifies Jesus Christ. Wearsby Commentary states this, Aaron was a high priest, and the Hebrew Christians were familiar with Aaron. They were familiar with Aaron as the priest. Aaron was a high priest, but Jesus Christ is our great high priest. Amen? And that's exactly what he was preaching to the Hebrew Christians, reminding them that Jesus was our great high priest. Paul now turns the mood of his conversation from warning God's people to comforting God's people. Isn't that just like the message of the gospel? You know, we don't like to go through that. We don't like to go through that conviction. When Pastor Hooks gets up here on a Sunday morning and, and preaches through and through the Word of God, he doesn't leave any out. He preaches God's Word as it's supposed to be preached. 
and the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God comes into our hearts and He just rubs us the wrong way. You know, many of us don't like that. But you know the comforting thing is that as soon as God convicts us, this is the gospel, friend. This is the gospel. As soon as God convicts us, and man, we're just sweating in our seats because we know we're not where we need to be. We know we can do so much better. We know that we need to get some things right or to make some things right. But as soon as we feel that spirit of conviction, then Jesus comes and reminds us, friend, I am the great high priest. I am touched with the feelings of your infirmities. I know exactly what you're going through, and I can help you. Jesus Christ, our great high priest. First, it cuts right through our sinful hearts with powerful soul-stirring conviction. Then it comforts and encourages us with the promises and the love. Aren't you thankful for the love of God, the love of Jesus Christ by what he's done for us on the cross? One commentary states this, He is preeminent, able to do what Moses nor Joshua could do, bring his people into genuine rest, because He is a superior Savior, and because the provisions of salvation available through Calvary are superior to anything found in the Old Testament. You see, the Hebrews, after receiving this letter, were strongly considering returning back to Judaism, returning back to worshiping their false gods. At this time, they were engulfed in the Mosaic law concerning priesthood. Therefore, were very confused as to how Jesus would even be considered a priest and on what legal ground to even be called a priest. But Paul confirms, Paul confirms Christ's priesthood by his very name. He says, Jesus, the Son of God. And at this very moment, we understand that Christ is seated at the right hand of God as our high priest and our interceder. When the writer, when Paul begins uh, the verse with seeing then, he's emphasizing that we have a great high priest who is the Son of God who is greater than all the nations of the earth, who is greater than any man, any law, or any persecution they could face. He's encouraging them that Jesus Christ is our great high priest. He says, let us hold fast our profession. The word profession in verse 14 translates to the word confession. They were so pushed to the edge of themselves. They were so faced with persecution and with fear and trembling in their hearts that they were willing to give a public confession of their faith in Christ. Therefore, it gives us a greater understanding of just how serious, really, this situation was. They're human just like you and I. I'm sure they didn't have the luxuries of living in the United States of America in our day and age. No, they were so faced with persecution that they were willing to give a public confession of their faith in Jesus Christ. It's convicting. I'd like for you to notice with me, secondly, a personal comfort. It's so comforting to every believer to think that Jesus knows exactly what we're going through. He knows exactly what we're struggling with. Friend, whatever sin you're struggling with, Jesus knows. And can I tell you something? If you're saved tonight, if you've got the Holy Spirit living inside of you, did you know that you can have victory over that sin? You can. You don't have to live in bondage all of your life. Why? Because you've been redeemed. Christ has already paid for it on Calvary. He's paid for every sin that you've ever committed and ever will commit, the sin that you're currently committing right now, maybe tonight. And he's paid for it by the redemption of his shed blood of Calvary. Aren't you thankful for that? You don't have to live in bondage. You don't have to live with the heavy weight, the shackles on your back, as the songwriter says. You don't have to live with that. Praise God. It's such a personal comfort to know that Jesus has paid for our sins. He knows what we're struggling with what we're hurting with, what we're wrestling with in our minds, our hearts, and in our souls. Jesus knows the nature and the needs of our hearts. 
He's our Heavenly Father. I'd be a pretty poor father if I didn't know the needs, all right, and the sin nature of my son. All right? We're experiencing some of that right now. All right? When you tell him, Bennett, don't crawl to the cable box and mess with the wires. All right? Wires. When, don't do that. All right? So pick him up. All right, chunky thing. Sit you right here, all right? There he goes. Crawls all the way back. And just hitting on that cable box, pounding on that cable box, messing with the wires. Bennett, don't do that. Chunky thing. There he goes again. I think he did it seven times in a row the other day. So listen, I understand the need, all right, that my son has the need for a spanking, okay? I understand that need, right? The Lord understands our needs. He knows the needs and the nature of our hearts. He's our Heavenly Father. Praise God for that. In Matthew chapter 4, we know that Jesus was tempted by Satan with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, yet he was without sin. John Philip Commentary states that the temptations of the Lord Jesus, praise God for this, the temptations of the Lord Jesus were not intended to see if he could sin, there were never any question. There was never any question that, about that. His temptations were simply to demonstrate him sinless, to show that he was pure. What a powerful statement. Jesus was tested with sin, and not only did he not sin, but he could not sin. I believe that God was testing his people here by Paul coming and, and, and pointing out their spirit of unbelief. God was testing them with the persecution that they were facing. Can I tell you something, friend? The persecution that they were facing may not be as immense, may not be as powerful as it was then, but can I tell you, we're living in a day of persecution. I'll never forget a sermon that Kurt Skelly preached while we were at Nationals uh, with our large ensemble group, and you who were there, remember this. He said, if you're going to stand up for Jesus Christ, you need to understand one thing and one thing right now. People are going to hate you. When you stand up for what's right, they're not going to like that. If our own hearts don't like it, if we're uncomfortable with the conviction of Jesus Christ because we know it's the truth and we know that we're living and backslidden and in sin, if we're not comfortable with it as believers in Christ, people that we confess and we say, we proclaim, yeah, we love Jesus. He's our great high priest. If we're uncomfortable with it, don't you think the sinner is going to be uncomfortable with it? Satan's certainly uncomfortable with it. And he's working. Man, he's working in our nation. We need to pray for the people who are working in our nation. I've got an older brother, Aaron, his wife, Alicia. They're, they're three precious little, uh, little children, a boy and two girls. Chandler, I believe, is five. Claire and Everly, thank you. There's too many grandchildren. Claire and Everly, precious little children. They had to delete their social media because they had some threats already. They just moved up there. Can I tell you something? We're living in a day of persecution. We sure are. And you have got to stand up as God's people. You've got to. You, you can't live like the world and expect to win anybody to Christ. You've got to be separated. You have to be. I'm learning that each and every day. You can't be filling your mind with the world's music and expect to live a life for Christ and to be growing and, and progressively growing in your sanctification. You just can't do it. All right? You can't be watching the filth that's on television and, and, you know, 
cursing and, and you know, all this immorality and all this looting, all, all this, this sickness, this wickedness, and then say, man, I'm, getting, I'm ready to worship Christ on Sunday morning. You can't do that. You can't live a life of hypocrisy and expect to win anybody for Christ. That's just common sense. We don't think about it because our sin nature, the lust inside of us, man, we want it. We crave it. We love how that worldly music makes us feel. We love laughing at those sitcoms and those television shows that are doing nothing but just raising their fists in the face of God. And we don't like to hear these things, but it's the truth. And as a church body, as Tabernacle Baptist Church, are we growing in the grace of God? Ask yourself that question. Are you growing in God's grace? Are you in God's word? Can I tell you something? I'm going to confess to the church tonight. There's been times, I'm talking within 2019, seasons of my life already where I look back and I think, man, I did not grow one ounce for Christ that week. If anything, I went back. Why? Wasn't in my Bible. Wasn't in fellowship with Christ. He's our heavenly father. He wants to hear from us. You know, I feel so bad for my mom and dad. I'll just be really honest with you. They got 10 kids. They got nine grandkids now. And every one of them, besides the last two hoodlums, are, are out of the house. All right? And John, airhead. Victoria, sweetheart. I'm glad they're there. But I'm going to tell you something. They're all out of the house. My dad longs to hear from us. Man, he loves to hear from us. I text my mom the other day. You know, she, I know she misses us so much. She loves all her grandkids, probably more than us. But she misses us so much. And I texted her the other day, hey, hey, Mom, how you doing? You know, and she just, oh, I'm doing so good. How are you and Kaylee? How are you? How's Bennett? You know, oh, we miss him so much. Can't wait to see you guys. You know, they love to hear from their children. I, how am I supposed to grow in my relationship with my parents if I'm never speaking to them? It's just common sense, church. How are you supposed to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ if you're never speaking to him? You know, it's a two-way street there. A lot of times because of my big mouth and because I like to talk so much, we'll be riding down the road. And, you know, of course, Kaylee's not distracted. You know, she, don't, she can be distracted because she's not driving. I'm driving, so I can't be distracted. So I'm sitting there and I'm driving. I have nothing to do but to talk. So, Kaylee, what do you think about this? Hey, you know, I was reading this the other day. And blah, blah, blah. And Kaylee's just, you know? But can I tell you something? Something that aggravates the life out of her is sometimes I don't let her talk. I need to shut my big mouth and let her talk. All right? It's a two-way street here. You speak to the Lord, and then you allow the Lord to speak to you. How do we allow the Lord to speak to us? By this. Amen? Well, if we're sitting on the shelf all week, and we're not touching it, then how are we supposed to grow in our relationship? Man, the Bible makes it very clear, does he not? I find my place here. If we're going to find that rest, that perfect rest that God offers, we must, number one, know where we stand. Number two, trust in His Word. Cast all of our cares upon God. And number three, and I'll be done, abide in His grace. We've got to abide in His grace. I'd like to encourage you to enter into His presence with boldness. Verse 16 says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I love how Paul begins this verse 16 with saying, Let us therefore. When the word therefore appears in the Bible, it generally sums up the whole preceding argument. 
Okay? Anytime you see the word like this, you ask yourself the question, for what reason? Let us therefore. Let us therefore what? For what reason? Well, in the previous chapters, in this verse 14, Paul gives us the reason. He says, Jesus is the Son of God. Let us therefore enter in boldly into his throne room of grace. Why? Because Jesus is the Son of God. Because Jesus is our great high priest. He's greater than the prophets. He's greater than the angels. He's the heir of all things. So we can enter in boldly and find grace and mercy. Number two, underneath abiding in his grace, we not only can enter into his presence with boldness, but we can find grace and mercy when we do. In my own life, God's grace has been so evident every day that I've lived. And if any of you know me, you know that I don't deserve to be behind this pulpit this morning or this evening. I don't. I don't deserve it. I don't deserve to have the wife that I have. I don't deserve to have the precious little boy that I have. I don't deserve to have the opportunity to serve him in this Christian school and this, this church like I do. I don't deserve it. Now, we don't deserve anything that God gives us, but I certainly don't deserve it. I'm just so thankful, though, that even though we do sometimes live in a state of unbelief, even though sometimes we do sin against God, if we will enter in with boldness, we can find mercy and grace. Grace, unmerited favor. I don't deserve it, but God freely gives it to me. And many of you tonight, if I can just encourage you with one thing, with one thing, God promises us this. If you will be bold, if you will have courage as a believer to enter into God's presence and to day after day say, God, forgive me. What does the, what does the Bible say? The Bible says that his mercies are what? They're new every morning. They're new every morning. Every day when you wake up, his mercies are new. Aren't you thankful for that? Praise God for that. I need his mercy every day in my life. Every day I need his mercy. And so do you. Can I tell you that? I'm going to hit your pride a little bit. You do too. You need his mercy. You need his grace. But friend, we can enter in bold, boldly. And if we do, we're promised to receive it. Praise God for that. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 declares, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul was proclaiming to God's people that although they had been living in fear and unbelief, if they would turn their hearts back to God and abide in His all-sufficient grace that He so mercifully offers, they would find a rest that, in which they had never experienced before. Not just a physical rest, not just a mental rest, but a spiritual rest, a peace in their hearts and a rest for their souls. That word abide here means to obey, to follow, to hold to, to conform to, you see? What Christ desired for His people, for the Hebrew Christians, and what Christ desires from us is to abide in His grace, to abide in it every day. Pastor Hooks gave the illustration this past Sunday. What a great illustration. He said, not to be like a butterfly that circles around the flower, and occasionally, when he's in need of it or when he wants to, he goes and he takes from that flower. No, no, no. We don't need to be like the butterfly. No, we need to abide in it every day, every hour, every minute, every second of our lives. We need to abide in His grace. Can I tell you, friend, if you'll do those things, if you'll have confidence in your heart and you'll know where you stand, 
you stand on the finished work of Jesus Christ and your state, your spiritual state will correspond with your standing, if you'll do that, that in and of itself will give you peace in your heart. Because every time the devil comes around, like like a roaring lion, every time he comes around, you say, hey, Satan, sorry, not today. You want to know why? Because I know there's been a time in my life where I've trusted Christ as my Savior and I am standing firmly upon Christ's finished work. Knowing where you stand. Having your state and your stand correspond with each other. Number two, trust in His Word. Just trust in Him. Can I tell you something? God's given me a a faithful, loving wife. I trust her. I can trust that person. Isn't it great when you know that you can trust someone? It puts your soul at ease. Puts your heart at ease in your mind and you think, whew, I know they'll, they'll, they'll do what's right. Many of you may know this feeling. You know the feeling of, of just having to wonder constantly, whether it be in a business or a spouse or whatever it may be, and you just don't know. You just don't, you don't know. Man, how the devil would just tear your mind up with that. I don't know if I could live like that. But can I tell you something? You can know. You can know. And you can trust in his word. You can always trust in God. His word's faithful. It's right. It's just. It's always going to do right by you. And the number three, abide in his grace. Knowing where you stand, trusting in his word, and abiding in his grace. If you desire rest, do those three things. Try them out. And see what kind of rest you experience for your soul. Because we're in need of soul rest tonight. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.